When we look in God's Word concerning uh, a number of things, we need to ask ourselves why we're looking at God's Word. Um, what's the motivation that we have for looking in this book? There's a statement that Jesus makes in the middle of Luke 11, and we find parallels to this in all the Gospels just about. But in Luke 11 and verse 9, Jesus states, So I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. I'd like to take a few minutes today to consider that aspect of seek, and you will find. Seek, and you shall find. Why are we seeking? What are we looking for? Why are we looking for it? Some people look at the Bible from a standpoint of proving what they already hold to be true or what they already believe to be true. Some people will look at the Bible from a standpoint of, okay, I know this is what I ought to be doing, and so I'm going to construct something in addition to this, and so I'll just have some Bible to go along with it. And then others will truly be seeking. I looked in the Vine's definition of this, the word seek comes from the Greek zeteo, there's the pronunciation right there, and the, one of the definitions was really fascinating to me, and it was tied to this passage, as well as 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. The definition is to require or demand, to require or demand. So that brings to it a different air, right? 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Does that mean that, you know, it's just going to be sought in stewards? We're going to look and see, you know. No, there's a requirement there that a steward be found faithful. And I have to think about that in the sense of when we're talking about and we're thinking about seeking you will find, are we just talking about just looking through scriptures? Let's just look through scriptures. And people have Bible studies these days where they're reading a passage or reading a verse and asking the question, how does this verse make you feel? Uh, some of you may be familiar with what has been called historically the seeker movement. Now, I don't, I'm not going to go into all that, but this whole sense of we ought to be seekers and but the problem is, so often what that means is we're just going to be looking. We're just going to be looking. But that doesn't begin to approach what I think Jesus is saying in these verses. Seek, require, demand, and you will find. Uh, this is something that I just found interesting. Y'all know I've got uh, probably too many files. I'm trying to run through them and get rid of some stuff, but... Uh, I found this uh, letter the other day, and it's dated August 4th, 1960. It's from the Brethren at the East Columbus Church to what at that time was the Uptown Church up in downtown Columbus. And what this basically says is that there's been some divisions lately over the past few years concerning evangelism and taking care of the needy and fellowship. They recognize those divisions, those distinctions, and these elders, Ellie Murray and uh, Aubrey C. Ballou, Aubrey Sr., were basically saying these things come from a lack of communication. And it, basically this letter is an invitation for them to come to a meeting that they were having at that time with, I think, uh, Ward Hoagland. And so I, I, I share this not to necessarily get into church business or divisions or things like this, but just to show something. Here are brethren 
who are reaching out to those who had begun to stray, who had begun to go in a different direction. And they're reaching out to him, them, what communicates to me through this letter, in love and consideration. But the fact is, and what we see has happened over time, not just locally, but we have seen congregations, brethren, not seeking what they ought to seek. I believe these elders at East Columbus at that time were seeking good things. They were seeking communication. They were seeking to have a discussion about these things that had divided them. And that's a good thing. But we also see how brethren, we find and see. We can drive by where the remnant of that congregation that they wrote to uh, worships today. We can see the sign that at, I think a couple of weeks ago, I haven't checked lately, but a couple of weeks ago it, was, it said something to the effect of, uh, love God, love others, serve the world. And it's like, okay, so that's what you're seeking. You're seeking to serve the world. Okay, that's what you're requiring. Well, the question is, what are we seeking? What, what ought we to require? What ought we to be seeking? In, in James 5, 16, turn there with me. James 5, James chapter 5. Reading in verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. We ought to have persistence in prayer, and we know this. We ought to seek uh, assurance of answers to prayer. We ought to be a people who pray. And we know that when we do, it makes a difference. And we know that when we pray, the sky's the limit as far as what's possible. And so that's a good thing. We should be seeking that. But it's not all that we should seek after or all that we're going to find. Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Colossians 3 and verse 1, we're told to seek or require those things which are above. We're looking for those things that are higher, that are better than the things that we see. So are we insisting on what is best for us? Are we seeking those things that are best for us? Or are we just looking? Or are we seeking for things that are unhealthy, that are bad for us, that are damaging? If we seek, if we require, if we demand, in the ways that Jesus is saying, if you seek, you will find, there is this great promise. What will we find? Well, first of all, I think we're going to find many spiritual things. You know, they say that when they're training counterfeiters, they don't start them out with the counterfeit bills. They start them out with the real bills. So let's start this morning with what's real, with the things that we ought to be seeking. And then we're going to go into some other things about uh, some unhealthy seeking. But first of all, grace. Grace is one of the things that we ought to be seeking. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Just by that basic fact that God's grace has appeared to all, it means that they may have salvation. But does that mean that that's going to automatically happen? No, it's appeared to all men, but we have to be seeking that, don't we? We have to seek that salvation. We have to seek that grace, that union with God, whereby we can be forgiven. Mercy. 
look in Second uh, uh, Timothy one verse sixteen. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So here's Paul mentioning this brother. And the thing is, we have the opportunity here not just to appreciate or seek the mercy that we have received from God, but we have an opportunity to desire and seek mercy for our brethren and from our brethren. This also involves a seeking. I'm not going to automatically be able to communicate to somebody the proper grace and mercy unless I actually do something about it, right? James talks about that in James chapter 2. I can talk to someone who's having problems and say, well, be well and made whole. But if I'm not actually doing anything to work through that or to help that, then I'm not really having the mercy that I ought to have. It involves an intentional seeking, an intentional desire, or an intention to actually do those things. So grace and mercy. Also, we seek the way. And Jesus talked about this way. It's not just something, you know, the way that it's not just something that's mentioned in Acts once or twice. In Matthew 7 and verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. What an exclusive message, but what also a message of great hope and promise for those who intentionally seek the narrow way. Finding the broad way is easy. I don't know if, I, maybe I just never thought about it this way before I put this lesson together, but, you know, you can stumble into hell. You can just kind of, you know, blindly toss your way into hell, can't you? Going to heaven takes an intentional seeking. It means I have to set in my mind, that's where I'm going to go. I'm not going to find some specific thing. If I decide I'm going to take a trip up to a certain location, let's say I'm going to Nashville, Tennessee. That just popped up in my head just now. I'm going to Nashville, Tennessee. There's a certain way I need to go to get there. Now, there may be multiple ways I could get to that place. That's just the nature of, of travel. But the main point there is there's a specific location you want to end up at. Heaven, we're told in Scripture, there's only one way. There's the narrow way. And that's the way that we need to go. So it's apparent that finding and walking this way requires intentional seeking. If we seek and find as Jesus encourages us to, we're going to find pasture. John 10 verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I think, again, I'm not a farmer or anything like that, but I think the obvious thing here is that there's good pasture and there's bad pasture, you know, uh, and, and there's going to be land that's going to be useful for, for cows uh, or not. And yeah, one can take bad land and make it good, but it takes time. And when soul, soil is not going to be fruitful, we can usually tell. So Jesus is seeking, we're, we're to seek Jesus as the door. We're to require that he is the way that we go in and out as we're talking about right there, going in and out. And that talks about really just the everyday of life, constant aspect of those things. And so Jesus will bring us to good and fertile pasture, that salvation that we 
so need and so uh, uh, require, we need to seek. We'll also find rest if we seek the way Jesus wants us to seek. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That phrase, come to me, that within itself assumes a seeking. And that's why, you know, when we see authors mention phrases like, uh, like there's nothing you can do to come to Jesus. I don't know if anybody's ever read that. Uh, it's actually something David Platt says in one of his books. But uh, there's nothing you can do to come to Jesus. It's this, this thought that there's nothing good that you can do. But Jesus is saying, come to me, seek me, come to me. All you who labor are heavy laden. That sin and that wickedness is the great addiction and burden that we all suffer from. Living this life, completely fulfilling our desires and not caring about the consequences, not caring about what happens to us when all this is done, that, that's a burden. We don't recognize it as a burden, but it, it, it takes a toll on us. And I think there's even a mental or physical or spiritual toll all wrapped up together in that. Because you think about the core of this is those who are in that wickedness, they're laboring, they're heavy laden. Because why? Because in their heart of hearts they hate themselves. And they're not loving themselves as they ought to. Because if they did, they would do what was best for themselves. That's what that wickedness really comes from, is Satan is telling us, you, you do this, and he, he, he cloaks it up so well. But Jesus says, you're laboring, you're heavy laden, come to me, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. If we want rest from our burdens, we must intentionally <coughs> seek him. We must intentionally seek our Lord. Take my yoke on you and learn from me. Learn from me. Are we learning from Jesus? See, again, it's the difference, I think, between seeking some other Jesus or seeking the Jesus that the Bible tells us about. We can't seek Jesus just by looking around. We can't seek Jesus just by saying, okay, I like what he says here. Uh, he, he says something a little bit challenging to me right here, so I'm just going to kind of glaze over that. Oh, yeah, it's challenging, but I'm not really going to do anything with it. Oh, I have a problem with this, but I'm never really going to do anything with it. The promise, you will find rest for your souls. I need to seek him. I need to come to him so I can have that rest. So all of these spiritual things that we find, there's many more that we could talk about. There are many more that we could see that, that God gives us if we're seeking, requiring, demanding these things that God wants us to demand. But, you know, the thing, too, is that you're going to find the verse that you want. want. And this is not automatically a negative thing. There's actually negative and positive sort of wrapped up in this. Uh, the truth is, is for this purpose. God gave us truth whereby we can prove what is true. And so God encourages us through his word to seek that truth. He told the same thing to his people. Zechariah 8 and verse 19, his people at the time. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore... Love, truth, and peace. 
God gives us good things. God blesses us. Not that we use it for our own selfish purposes, but to seek His truth and to seek His peace intentionally and totally. This will not happen automatically. And the fact is, it takes a dedicated and well-taught conscience to truly seek these things. Strong desire does mean that you will find the truth. We know of people who basically had everything they needed knowledge-wise from the Bible, and then they just needed someone else to come along and just kind of say, okay, but put all this into perspective and just kicked it into the next gear, right? People who desire the truth, God will acclimate that. And that's really what we see. And this, I think that's what this passage uh, uh, proves or shows. John seven sixteen. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So if I want to do the will of God, that's really what it's all about, right? That desire, that desire to do the will of God. And from that point, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority. That doesn't mean he's imbued with some sort of extra supernatural sense of what's true and what's wrong. It just simply means that he's going to know about the doctrine. He's going to know if he wants to truly seek God. He's going to know those things. And again, in our heart, heart of hearts, I think so much of that rings true. But there's a negative aspect of this too. The devil used scripture, right? Matthew 4, Luke 4, when he's tempting Jesus, he uses scripture to fight that battle. And, uh, of course, that, that wasn't in his first two temptations, but his third one was actually true. And the fact is, if you look at the way G, uh, that, that the devil used that passage, he didn't use it uh, incorrectly. From the standpoint of saying that the Messiah would not be uh, uh, someone who would be destroyed, that's the basic passage that he's talking about. Of course, uh, the, the temptation is what's so messed up about it. But the fact is, the devil will use Scripture. The devil will use Scripture to pull us into a sense of where this is where I think I ought to be. But maybe that's not really true. You think about this. I mean, so those who want to believe in faith only, right? Romans 3.28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. How many people do we know that will look at that verse and that is their basis for believing that all I need to do is believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, they're using the verses, right? Uh, Non-essential baptism. 1 Corinthians uh, 1.14, Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. See, someone could take that verse and say, well, see, Paul says it's not about the baptism. You're, you're, you're emphasizing the wrong thing, friend. You're saying that baptism is required, but Paul is saying he wasn't sent to baptize. Someone also <laughs> uses verses like this to say, well, you know, we just we can have fun. We can use the church's money to put together plays, we can use the church's money to have, uh, have uh, uh, soup kitchens or whatever we want, 
Acts 2.46, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Again, these are the verses that people will look at if they look at a verse, right? And I think the term, in terms of institutionalism, the biggest one that was uh, paraded throughout time and continues to be paraded is James one twenty seven. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. See, pure and undefiled religion, we have to be visiting orphans, we have to be visiting widows in their trouble. And so we need to be using the church's money for this. That's their reasoning for this. Okay. So the point I'm really trying to make here is that if you seek something to, to kind of be your basis for a practice, and again, we'll talk about more in this in, in the next section, but we'll find the verse that, that, that you want for that if that's what you're seeking. I'll also find the excuse that I want if that's what I'm seeking. If I'm requiring that I need some way out of this, some loophole out of this, I mean, if you don't want to straighten out your life, you're going to find an excuse for it. If there's something you just don't want to work on, if there's something that you just don't want to deal with, hey, you can find an excuse for it. God will let us find these excuses. Luke 14, turn there with me, please. Luke 14. Again, a passage that many of us are familiar with. This lesson is not overly complicated, I believe, and um, I hope that it comes across in that way. Uh, Luke fourteen fifteen. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they, with all one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have brought a piece, bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you, you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. We see the Lord's reaction to these excuses, don't we? It's very plain, this anger, this sense of like, okay, if, if I don't obey, if I don't come to the feast, someone else will. If I'm not seeking those things, if I'm looking for an excuse, and that's all I'm seeking, there will be others who recognize they have no excuse. And that's the truth about all of us. Adam and Eve, of course, made excuses. Genesis 3, 11 through 13. Eve blamed Adam. Adam blamed God. How about that rebellion? Aaron made excuses about the golden calf. Hey, you, you tarried? The people really pressured me? I didn't know what to do is basically how he comes across. Uh, again, plenty of examples we could find in Scripture of that. But you know what? We make excuses too, don't we? Now, I'm going to put these up here, and I... I don't think I really have to do a whole lot of qualification because I, I have a feeling that a lot of us have heard these or seen these before. 
I have a lot going on right now, okay? You know, I, I wanted to be at services, you know, but I just I have a lot going on right now. Well, and again, legitimate versus illegitimate, right? And we can we can talk about the wisdom of that. And we're in the middle of a controversy right now where it's like, okay, what do we do about this sickness, et cetera, et cetera? I'm not necessarily talking about that. I'm talking about someone who, who's not here and ought to be here and has no reason not to be here. So those those things that, that we're talking about and thinking about right there. Um, you know, hey, I, I know I, I want my children to be a part of this, but, you know, if they do this extracurricular thing, it's going to help them get into a good school. Uh, you know, I know I work a lot, and uh, I'm not really doing a whole lot to help the local congregation in terms of evangelism, but you know what? I'm, I'm working to support my family. Hey, you know, we're getting married soon anyway, so, I mean, why not just go ahead and just go go along with it, right? I mean, there's no, no problem there, right? I'm not going to go there. They're just a bunch of hypocrites up there. I'm not going to go to that church anymore. They don't have love there. You know, I know they recently, uh, you know, they, they lost their grandfather. They lost their son. But you know what? I don't really know them, so I don't really know what I would say to maybe, like, comfort them or help them out. We don't really know each other, so here's the thing: Am I going to find scripture to support my excuse? You know, you look at all those things. Like those are things that any of us could say, and so we need to be careful that that we're not finding in scripture an excuse to get around the things. I don't even. I, I wouldn't even really have scripture for some of these things. But at the same time, I, I think you know, working to support my family. I mean, there's scripture we could turn to for that. We better be working, absolutely. But let's not do it, of course, at the at the detriment of the local work. So you'll find the excuse you want, and you will ultimately find the answer that you want. There were people in Jesus' day that found their answer in tradition. Remember when Jesus criticized them for saying to people, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, Corbin, then he need not honor his father and mother, thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. And so the traditions that we hand down, the traditions that we have, those can fly in the face of God's will. Uh, name calling. In John 8 verse 48, the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? You see, they said that at a point where they knew they had no other answer. And what you will find sometimes, by the way, is that false teachers will sometimes resort to that. It's happened to me, where someone, you know, you make a clear point, their back is against the wall as far as truth goes, and they lash out with a personal attack. So, we see that very plainly. Matthew 5.22, I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of of hellfire. Are we becoming murderers of our brethren? Are we becoming murderers of those that we're uh, showing uh, uh, showing hatred toward? Uh, we have to be so careful about that. And, and, you know, that's the answer that some people have. That's the, the ways that they seek to get out of the way of blame. Uh, very similar situation in just a moment. But persecution as well. Maybe I'm seeking to, uh, in a sense, to invite persecution 
just a couple of passages in 2 Corinthians 11. Let's, let's look here. Just really interesting to see. Again, th- these are not codified as far as this is bad, this is good, this is bad, this is good. I hope that this is all sort of like wrapped up together in the same message. In 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 5, Paul says, Therefore I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Turn back to chapter 10. Chapter 10 and verse 10. Paul says, Therefore his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that, that what we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. I, I share these verses to make the point that basically it seems like Paul invited persecution in a sense because he didn't make his speech fancy. In, in a manner, he was seeking it, but not because he sought persecution. He was seeking, he was requiring, he was demanding. You go back to 1 Corinthians 3. What was he requiring or seeking? That the gospel shines forth. And he didn't want to stand in the way of the gospel. And uh, people talk about, well, Paul must have been an, a horrible speaker, had a speech impediment. I'm just not sure I believe that. I mean, a man who studied at the feet of Gamaliel, who was as steeped in, in the law as he was, And the fact that he was able to speak and to preach in the way that he preached. But the fact is that he he limited himself. He didn't seek his own glory. He sought the glory of God. And because of that, some brethren were uh, mistaking him and saying, oh, well, he's he's weak. You know, there's really no strength in him. But the strength was actually there. But he, in meekness, pulled that back for the sake of the gospel. That's important for us to consider, and a wonderful thing for us to emulate about Paul, that he limited himself. He limited uh, aspects of himself that would have gotten in the way of preaching and teaching. And again, like I mentioned just a minute ago, we remember the passage in Matthew 21. We don't even really have to turn there, where the, the chief priests, the elders, confront Jesus after the temple cleansing. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right to do these things? And Jesus says, well, listen, you answer my question, I'll answer yours. Baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they recognize that they're in deep water with whatever answer they have. And so they say, well, we don't know. We do not know. In cowardice, they dodge the issue. Because they were not seeking the truth, they were seeking the favor of the people. They were seeking the power that they had over the people. So... Really, it just comes down to this. What are we going to do? What are we going to be seeking? Why are we seeking it? And the fact is, I can have what I want. God will give me anything I want in this world. I can go out there and I can be whoever I want to be. As wicked and terrible as I want to be, God's not going to stop me. God's not going to stop me. But in the day of judgment, what will be the account? What will be the reckoning in that day? I can have the things that last, I can seek the things that last, or I can seek the things that destroy me. And so the question is up to us to consider today. Thank you so much for the good listening. Um, what was that number? 214. Turn to that song in your songbooks. Um, our God wants us to seek truth. He wants us to require and demand the truth about every aspect of who he is.
And so this morning, if you find yourself in such a way that you are lacking in terms of the gospel call, we, we encourage you to make that right this morning, and we will help you in any way we can. Please respond while we stand and sing.